It's great to see you all. Um, real big welcome to you uh, if you're new here, if this is not your normal Sunday night experience. Big welcome to you if you're watching online. Again, if you are not used to watching our stream or catching up on YouTube, uh, really great to see everybody. We're starting a brand new series. It's three weeks dealing with doubt. This is a great series for any person of faith, but it's also a great series for people who are exploring faith. It's a great series for you if you have lost faith and maybe you're trying to think about, is it worth just investigating and exploring it and, and, and nudging that door to see if it will come open again? It's a great series for those of us that feel completely secure in our faith that will help us when choppier waters come down the line. It's a great series for you if you were brought up in church, if you had a Christian upbringing, and all you've ever known is a kind of Sunday school faith, but you haven't necessarily seen it battle-tested and put through the ringer, because doubt is part and parcel of the journey of faith. Doubt is part of it. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith, and I don't care who you are or what your experience is or what your background is, every single one of us will experience doubt if we want to embark on the journey of faith. It's part of it. It's not a negative thing. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Some of us are more skeptical than others. That's a God-given gift, the ability to question, the ability to, to, to poke a stick at things, uh, the ability to see whether there is any substance behind the hype. You know, you can come into a venue like this, see everyone with their hands in the air and uh, smiley, happy people. It's, it's a valid thing to say, is it real? Is it true? Or is this just a nice group, think, happy, smiley community of cuddly people? Doubt is helpful for us, but doubt can also destroy precious things. Doubt can come and it can be like a cyclone hitting the house of your faith and it can do tremendous damage. It can wreck your faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at doubt. Now, when we look at doubt, uh, we need to think about doubt in a couple of different ways. I'm going to come back to this as we go through the next three weeks. But the first way is it's like this intellectual component to uh, doubt. It's, it's your thinking. It's your mind. It's about the questions. So it's about having doubt when you think, ah, I don't know, I, I read something in the Bible and, and that jarred. Or you may have a thing about, well, doesn't science disprove a lot of this stuff? Am I supposed to believe in a six-day creation and a God that makes the world out of nothing? And, and what about evolution? And what about a billions years old galaxy and, and the far reaches of space? How does my faith survive all of that stuff? Or it may be that you think, well, what about all the other religions? What about the people that haven't heard about Christianity? What about stuff like heaven and hell? Seriously, is, is that really a thing? What about suffering? All these questions that we have. And actually, again, it's not a bad thing to have questions. It's a vital, valid thing to have questions and to deal with those um, responsibly and honestly. But there's an intellectual component. Now, in week three, you really need to come back for week three because I'm going to give you something which I had not heard in years of being a Christian. I grew up in church. I have very kind of powerful Christian family background. But the stuff I'm going to give you in two weeks' time, I'd never heard this before until fairly recently. And it was a game changer for me, and it'll be a game changer for you. So you need to come back. In fact, this is a great series to, to come back to, to invite your friends to share online. But we're going to be looking a little bit more at the intellectual side and so that we have a robust 
intellectually honest faith rather than just a kind of Sunday school fairy tale uh, little kid faith. So there's an intellectual component. But arguably the harder component of doubt to deal with is, is actually the emotional component. It's, it's our lived experience. It's what we feel. And it's particularly around disappointment, which is why this evening is called Disappointed with God. Because if we see things in other people, sometimes you have people purporting to be Christians or people who've been leading lights as Christians and, and figures that we, we look up to and we respect and admire their faith and they do things that let us down. We're disappointed with, with people. And then you think, well, is the whole thing just a shell game? Is it a con? Or you get disappointed or hurt by church. I mean, church is people, right? And people can sometimes be flawed. They can mess up. They can be less than they should be. And we can get trampled underfoot. We, we can have examples in church life where instead of being cared for and, and protected, we feel like we've been damaged and it can do violence to our faith. It can introduce such strong undercurrents of doubt. But perhaps the worst kind of emotional, experiential doubt is when we feel disappointed with God. Because if it's people and if it's Christian leaders or celebrity figures that have falls from grace, fine, we sort of expect that. We're, we're not children. And if it's the church, well, actually, another church can come along that can help us get over some of that, that pain. But if it's God, you feel disappointed with God. Biggest reason that people feel disappointed with God, the biggest reason that you feel disappointed with God is your prayers didn't get answered. Or something that you really wanted to happen didn't happen. Or something that you believe that God should do for you, he didn't do for you. In other words, God didn't keep his end of the deal. When we come to faith, when we trust in God, there's a kind of deal that we make with God. We will believe in you. We will do the stuff. We will go along with all of this. But you've got to hold up your end of the bargain. You, you've got to come through for us. You've got to help us. You, you've got to be there for us. You, you've got to do the things that you've promised to do, which is to keep us safe and to keep us well and to keep us happy and to keep us healthy and to make our lives easy and, and, and to bless us. And when I see in my life, Difficulty, And when I feel like God has let me down, I feel like he's not held up his end of the bargain. What am, I, what am I even doing this for? Or if you feel that God's not close to you, maybe you go through a period of time where you're doing everything right, but he just doesn't feel like he's really there. You think, am I just praying prayers to the ceiling? Is anybody even listening? Doubt. Disappointment. With God. Now here's the thing. This is a great thing. This is really, really good news. <laughs> really great news. The Bible doesn't shy away from this stuff. It doesn't say, oh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Don't worry about that stuff. It's all fine. La, 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 la. No, it says, let's, let's talk about this stuff. In fact, let's give you models and examples and, and people that you can identify with who've been through challenges and difficulties and disappointment with God. And one of the ones we're going to look at this evening is actually one of the founders of the early church, a guy called Paul. Paul was famous because he was a, a vehement critic of Christianity, tried to stamp it out, thought it was a dangerous cult, and then had an experience where he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and it changed everything. And so he became this pillar of the early church. But yet he who wrote about a quarter of the New Testament, he himself is very candid about his 
difficulties with faith and his times of disappointment with God and the unanswered questions that he wrestled with and struggled with and stuff that was unresolved in his life all through his experience. He's talking to one group of Christians who were based in uh, Corinth, this kind of Greek cosmopolitan seaport city. And uh, these are all people who've come from a pagan background, so they don't have the kind of the Jewish uh, background and upbringing and faith. They're, they're kind of raw pagan converts. And he's writing a letter to them. And he wants them to know that faith isn't just something that you have because you grew up with it, because you're from a good Jewish family. Now, these are people that didn't have any of that stuff. And he's saying, look, when you have faith, it doesn't insulate you from difficulty and pain. So he starts off by talking about the amazing spiritual experiences that he's had. He says, I, I, I don't want to talk about this too much because it's, it's kind of private and it's kind of precious, but I've had experiences where I have, I, I've seen and being caught up in paradise. I don't know whether it was a vision. I don't know whether I was physically. I, I can't explain it. The words just, they just run out. You can read it. Second Corinthians chapter 12. It's mind blowing. But then he says, and instead of, and going from there, I then experienced a life which was a kind of supernatural feet off the ground experience. No, he says, actually, straight on the heels of that, the worst thing in the world happened to me. He says this to Corinthians. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, because of the amazing visions that he'd had, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from God to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what's going on here? If we understand how Paul navigates doubt and deals with it and gets through it, we can do the same thing. And just like with doubt, there's a kind of intellectual and emotional component. Our response, it has to be a kind of dance and a mixture between what we think, our intellect, but also our experience, our will, our emotions. So first of all, let's look at the kind of intellectual thing. Because the mindset that Paul has is absolutely crucial to this. He has had these kind of weird, un uncomprehensible visions of, of paradise and stuff that he can't even talk about. It is so holy. It is so out of the ordinary. And yet, at the same time, he has this thing which he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, we can think, oh yeah, it's just a little bit of a thorn. It's like, it's a prick. It's, it's just, you know, it's a little mild inconvenience. Now, this is a figure of speech. Figure of speech in Paul's language that means something which is intensely, intensely disturbing, painful, and debilitating. And the thing is, we don't know what it is. He doesn't say, and I love that, because what it does is it makes this universal. What's your thorn in the flesh? It could be a physical illness. It could be debilitating mental health problems. It could be anxiety that you just, you have bad days, you have good days. It may be that you have a kind of a, a physical thing, which is chronic. Some of you, you know what it's like to live with chronic pain and, and it, it's just, it's like a thorn in the flesh. Or it could be deep-seated trauma from stuff that you just can't get beyond. Or it might be a person in your life who's just a source of, of constant aggravation. Maybe you've got broken, fractious relationships from your family background. It's a thorn in the flesh. But what he does say, he says, it tormented me. It tormented me. It's not like a some easy thing. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, it's a mild inconvenience. This is like torment. And he says, I 
pleaded with God three times. In other words, there's three significant occasions in his life when he just prayed to God with all his heart, God, this is hurting, this is pain, this is causing me such anguish, God, can you take it away? God, I've seen you do miracles, you've used me to literally raise people from the dead, you've used me to do miracles, you've used me in extraordinary ways, why not this, where are you God, why not? Pleading, 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 up all night, praying all day, gathering people around, pleading with God, goes on for days, and then nothing, and then another period of of pleading, pleading, three periods, nothing, and at the end of it, God doesn't give him any answer at all, he just talks about his grace. Why did Paul not just bail? I mean, he didn't want to become a Christian in the first place, he was against Jesus, he became a believer in Jesus because he saw Jesus. He had a vision of Jesus. But if it doesn't work, if Jesus doesn't come through, he never asked for this in the first place. In fact, the only thing that his faith in Jesus has brought him seemingly is difficulty in life. Persecution, prison, and people trying to kill him. Why not just walk away? He doesn't walk away because he has the right mindset. He asks the right question. And the question that you have to ask yourself is this. How do I see the world? How do I see the world? How do I interpret what's happening to me? How how do I make sense of my experience? I did, I'm really sorry about this. I, I, I was conflicted. I didn't know whether to do this. I thought it was probably dodgy. I thought I might upset some people. I thought it was maybe a little bit manipulative. And I did it anyway. So let's get that out of the way. I did something a little bit underhand. I changed the scripture. So I didn't want to give away the plot. Let's look at that Bible verse. Okay, Bible scholars here. <laughs> well, I've sort of highlighted it, so you know which, but I changed. He said, I received a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from God. But that's not what Paul actually wrote. He said, a messenger of Satan. The thing is, when bad things happen to us, some of us have a view of the world that we think everything is God's responsibility. God is... The God who has the plan. God is the God who makes things happen. He's the one who's in control. That's why he's called God. So everything in the world, it must be his doing. So if you have a thorn in your flesh, if you have a physical ailment that is just giving you acute pain, if you have something which is debilitating and chronic, well, it must be God. And if it doesn't go, it must be God's will that you have it. Do you know what we call this? We call this the blueprint view. We call it the blueprint model of the world. And that is that God is the great architect, right? So God is the one that decides what happens. He has a plan. Everything is part of his mysterious plan. If something bad happens, well, it's all part of the mysterious tapestry. God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. If something awful happens to someone that you love, well, just, we don't know, it must have been God's will. If someone is sick, you pray for them, they don't get better, maybe God doesn't want them to get better. Why? Because he's got a plan, because he, he, he's in charge, he, he's all powerful, right? I mean, he's, he's God, he, he can do whatever he wants. If he wanted them to be well, click his fingers, it's done. You wouldn't even have to pray about it. That's the blueprint 
model. That God is this kind of architect of everything that happens. And actually, it's, it's a hideous, hideous, hideous mindset to have. And I don't blame you if you have had your faith wrecked. I don't blame you if you're full of doubts, if you've held anything close to that kind of blueprint model. Because essentially it says that God is responsible for all the bad things that happen. He's had, he's given the say so, he's allowed it to happen or he's made it happen. He is responsible. Everything from the Holocaust through to your social anxiety. It's all God's plan. And if we have this, it can be utterly devastating for faith. It's fine if your life is good. But the moment that you walk into something difficult, boom. It's God's fault. It's God's responsibility. It's God's plan. It's all part of the great design. But that is not how the Bible talks about the way that the world works. How does the world work? How how do things happen in the world? What the Bible presents is a God who is, yes, all-powerful, but he gives away power to other beings with free will. If we think that God is responsible for everything, then the thorn in the flesh is a messenger from God. But Paul says, no, I'm not ascribing this to God. I know that there is something satanic about this. And the Bible talks about the fact that we are in a literal conflict. That faith isn't just something that, you know, it's a neutral thing. I hold my faith and nothing's going to affect it. Actually, you're in a battle a battle for your soul, a battle for your faith. If you have lost faith or if your faith has been challenged, shouldn't be a surprise because the Bible says that Satan, the accuser, he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. That his whole modus operandi is deceiving people and wrecking stuff and polluting and perverting good things in their life. And whenever he can, give the blame to God. So Satan comes along and does something despicable to you, to someone that you love, then blames God. Well, you know, it's all part of God's grand design. Maybe they died. Well, God just wants another angel in heaven. But here's the thing. If I want to know what God is like, I look at Jesus. And Jesus never met someone who was sick and wanted to be healed that he did not heal. Blind man comes up to Jesus, says, I want my sight. And Jesus says, it's not my will. It's not what I have for you. My ways are mysterious. I'm sorry. No, he is always there. Showing the love of God, showing the compassion of God, showing the mercy of God. But it means that God has given us, say so, free will. And in that kind of chaotic tumble of jumbling free wills colliding with one another, we live in a world of pain, suffering, and compromise. Where people can do things. I don't know whether you have a a, a problem with me talking about Satan and evil, whether you think that's just medieval nonsense. Okay, fair enough. Let's think about human beings. The Bible is very clear that God has ceded to us as human beings. We are agents of free will. We can make our own choices. In fact, the Bible has multiple dozens of times in Scripture where God will trust someone with something and then feel let down by them. There's multiple times in Scripture where, where God changes his mind or is disappointed. One little quick thing. God appoints Saul, King Saul, the first Jewish king. He appoints him to be king. They didn't want the people to have a king, but the people said, we want a king. All the other nations have got kings. Gives them a sense of identity. God says, you don't need this. It never ends well, but here's a king. I've got the best man that I can find, Saul. 
Samuel, you go and mentor him. You, you bring him up. And it doesn't work out. And God says to Samuel, he says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is God speaking. God speaking. I regret. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. In other words, this. God said, this is my guy. This is a leader who's going to lead well. And then Saul, because he has free will, acts in a way that God is disappointed with. And God says, do you know what? I regret that I made him king. And you think, what? God regret? Doesn't he know? The way that the Bible portrays God as interacting with us is as a father, not as a, a kind of computer programmer. A father of children with free will and choices that they can make. A father who delights to be surprised and, and, and delighted with what we as his children do. And he can regret things. So you look at a leader that's been in a position and they have let you down. And, and there's that thing. Well, you know, that's not on God. It's on that person. And so the blueprint model of God, if we have that idea, if we have that viewpoint of God, every bad thing that happens in life, it's God's fault. No wonder you lose your faith because you saw bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and that's, that's God's will. Oh, I'm checking out. I don't want anything to do with that. But that's not the way that we think. Paul is able to handle his disappointment and his pain with God because he understands this thing that I'm dealing with, it's not from God. It's not God's will for my life. It's from Satan. God is not responsible for this, but God is sovereign. In other words, there are agents of chaos and evil that can wreck our lives. And yet God is so wise and amazing that he can somehow weave this into his tapestry so that it ends up helping and being a benefit to us, that he wins in the end. So how do you see the world? How do you think about the world? But the second thing, it's actually a kind of emotional thing. And when I say emotion, I'm not just talking about, you know, like belittling it or minimizing it. I'm talking about your will, about choices, because ultimately faith is a choice. It's a choice that you make. It, it, it's based on not just my intellect. My intellect needs to be aligned. I can't go against something where there's cognitive dissonance. But I have to make a choice. A few years ago, I was in Budley Salterton, and I, I was doing a kind of spiritual retreat. I was on my own, yes. And uh, it was, you know, I was having a whale of a time. I, I go away on, on spiritual retreats regularly every year, and uh, I like to just you know, grapple with nature and do fun stuff, and, and, and God speaks me through it. And uh, I was just uh, walking along the beach one day, and I'd been walking for hours and hours. I was dog-tired, uh, and I was along the, the, the beach. I needed to get back up the cliff, and I had one way to go back, and it would take me another two, three hours. And I was very, very tired. I'd been walking, I don't know, a long time, hours and hours. And then I saw a shortcut. I saw hanging down, invitingly, hanging down from the top of the cliff, big, huge, fat rope, like, like um, tug-of-war rope, you know? Fat. And uh, I can't see what it's tethered to, but I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, yes. Plunge to my death, etc., etc. Uh, but you know, it's obviously every reason. Um, I don't know. I'm going to trust. It, it looks strong. It looks stable. 
I'm going to climb up this rope. And it's this pretty sheer cliff. I mean, it was a... It was, I'm sorry, hon. She hates it when I do all this stuff. So I climb up, and I'm climbing up, and I'm climbing up, and I get halfway up the cliff, and I have the shock of my life because the rope finishes. And then the rope actually is tied to another rope. And it's like, I did not sign up to this. This is not a fat, thick, reassuring rope. This is a tiny, literal piece of string. Now, you think I'm exaggerating, and maybe I am, but not by much. Honestly, it was, it was barely anything. It was like, it, it wasn't fit for purpose whatsoever. It was just string. And it'd been carrying my weight. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall. I'm going to die. I'm going to go straight back down. I didn't realize that I was holding on to this thing. I'm not going to go a single foot further. And then I had the thought. Well, hang on a minute. When I was pulling on this big fat rope, I was pulling on the little string the whole time. It was always just the string. The rope got me onto this thing, but I was always held by this tiny, small, insubstantial rope. If that had been the thing at the bottom of the cliff, no way, Jose, I'm not getting on that. That's madness. But because I'm already kind of committed and halfway through, and because I know intellectually that thing has held me up, I choose. I choose to move forward. And here's a question that you have to ask yourself. How do I hold on to Jesus? Because with Paul, what happens with him is he has these incredible experiences of God. And they're mind-blowing and they're amazing and they're, they're just indescribable. And they get him moving up the mountain but he gets to a certain point where everything is stripped away where there is no prayers answered in this particular instance where there is no resolution you know there was times in Paul's life when he was put in prison for preaching the gospel and the bible says that he and his pals they praised God they sang hymns there's an earthquake boom the gates of their prison flew open Paul comes you know it's just amazing stuff but now literally as he's writing this stuff He's in prison, and as much as he likes to sing, no doors open, and he's just, he's just in there. And, spoiler alert, he's going to be executed, and, and that's that. Thank you for playing. But here, with everything stripped away, he holds on to Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, Would you take this away? Jesus doesn't answer it. It's not yes, not no, it's just mystery. Some things are happening and we don't get to know this side of eternity. But what Jesus says is, my grace, my grace is all you need. And Paul says, if he never did another thing for me, I would still yet trust him. His grace, his amazing grace that he gave his life for me. And what he does is he moves through doubt. We sometimes avoid doubt. We think doubt is bad. But actually, doubt is something that you have to move through to get to a better place in knowing Jesus. Doubt's not the end of the line in your faith journey. Doubt is a territory that we move through on our way to a deeper faith. 
A faith that says, I'm in this, not because everything is roses and because everything is explained and because uh, Christianity just meets all my needs. If that was the case, everyone would be a Christian. There's a reason why Jesus says it's a narrow path and only a few find it. It's not easy and it requires a choice, an act of your will, a a decision that actually I'm going to move through this. Either doubt can take you away from Jesus. It, It can shipwreck your faith. Or it can push you close to Jesus. And Jesus, after all this kind of, I don't know whether it's years of pleading and crying out to God, Jesus says, all you need is my grace. It's me. It's me. All you need is me. Nothing else, just me. And so then he goes on, and then this is him pushing through. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a power of Christ that you can only know in the midst of weakness, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of challenge and confusion, when you hold on so tight. That is why, for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake, I will delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I found a source of strength that isn't from certainty. Everything that I ask for happens. Everything I pray for is immediately answered. No, it's because I have been on this journey of faith and I've been through the time when, yeah, sure, I needed a fat rope to get me on there. But now I know that it was always just Jesus, always the grace of Jesus. Worst time in my life for faith, 24 years old. And everything that I thought I knew about God seemed to be stripped away. My life, I'm not going to go into it because everyone else here has got a, a worse story. Kate, when I tell her my story of difficulty, I remember when we first met and we were going out and I told her my story and she, she just laughed. Um, you know, she says, you're so dramatic. Um, I had literal people dying, so back off, Mr. Misery Boy. Um, but for me, it was hard. Difficult, challenging things that bit away at my faith. I was in hospital, I had car crashes, I uh, had to stop working, I was isolated, I was homeless, I I had physical reactions to stuff that was just making my life a misery and and, just the worst thing, the worst thing, the worst thing was that God spoke to me and I know when God speaks and I know his voice and the thing that he said didn't happen and it was like, ah, well, what now? I remember walking on the downs because that's my place. That's the place that I go. And I'm walking on the downs and I'm just, I've got nothing. My faith is in tatters. I'm walking and I hear a voice and it's the voice of Jesus. He says, Philip, do you trust me? Yeah, but what about these things that you said that would happen that didn't happen? Do you trust me? Yeah, but what about the pain that I'm going through? What, what about the questions? That I, do you trust me? After a long time, I trust you, Jesus. Because I know you. And because your grace has brought me here this far. Like John Newton wrote, it was grace that, brought, that taught my heart to, to fear. That grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's the grace of God. It's Jesus. 
It's because I know Jesus and I have this thin rope and I'm, I'm choosing. Faith is always a choice. If it comes out of certainty, if it comes out of everything you always wanted, always happens, that's not faith. That's just a kind of, I don't know, that's a plastic, what's the thing that you get when something is fake? Counterfeit. Thank you. It's fake. Paul, at the end of his life, you know, he wrote to the Corinthians early on in his ministry. They were one of his kind of favorite early churches. At the end of his life, he's in prison again, again. And spoiler alert, he's going to get executed. And he writes his last letter to his best friend. And he says this. He says, I'm going to cry. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. There's a grace that God loved us so much. That God is so kind and he's so gracious and that grace has been with us since the beginning of time. And then he says, because of that, he says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. What? Because of God's grace? Yeah, because God's grace is all that I need. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I've got grace, a grace that comes from my deep background before the beginning of time, a grace that is powering me through this life, despite suffering, despite persecution, despite disappointment, and a grace that's going to take me home. Grace will bring me safe at last. It is the grace of God. Do you know what? I'm going to finish soon, but here's the thing about me. I'm very difficult to discourage. I'm difficult to discourage because I've been through some of these things with God. And I know what it is to suffer and I know what it is to question. And actually, even though the stuff that I talked about when I was in my 20s, it was resolved and it was amazing. And actually, the thing that God had said, it was proved true all along. I just had to wait two years to find out. It was one of the greatest, most profound experiences of my life. I wouldn't trade that difficult time for all the tea in China. But I am hard to discourage. I met up with a friend a couple of days ago and he said, Philip, I was really um, not looking forward to seeing you. I was very not looking forward to seeing you. So I know that you've got some challenges and I just didn't know how you're going to cope and how you're going to handle them. I'm like, I'm good. I'm walking by faith. I feel encouraged. I I know what it's like to, to trust who I believe in. I don't believe in a bunch of... Um, proclamations, pronouncements, just a truth that is bereft from relationship. I know Jesus. I know Jesus. And actually, I have come to a profound understanding and relationship with Jesus. And it has been through doubt, through pain, through suffering. Now, Kate says, your suffering sucks. It's rubbish. It's, it's kids play. She's, I'm just joking. I'm teasing. I know you don't like it when I pick on Kate. Let me tell you, next week, next week, whatever you do, don't walk, run to get here next week. Because next week, you're going to hear one of the most amazing stories you've ever heard in your life. We're going to interview someone who's been through real profound pain, pain that you cannot possibly imagine, pain that would wreck anybody's faith, that would wreck their life, that would wreck their marriage. You're going to hear one of the most amazing stories that you will ever, ever hear in your entire life. You need to be here this Sunday. You need to be in the room. You need to bring your friends. We're going to hear the story of someone who experienced 
incredible tragedy. This was front page BBC News. It was on Sky, it was on all the tabloids, all the broadsheets. This was national news. And it is an amazing story. But you're going to hear a story about someone who has pushed through uh, doubt, through suffering, through disappointment with God, and they've found a way to a deeper, profound faith. And this is a person full of joy, full of peace, a person who is unbelievable, but a person who knows who they believe. It's the grace of God. So this is our big idea. Doubt is part of the journey of faith. It can either bring us closer to Jesus or it can take us further away. It all depends on how we see the world and how we hold on to Jesus and his grace. Let's pray.